At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Good, so good to worship with you today. Man, thanks for singing like you mean it. Like you really believe those, those songs are true. That he has freed you from sin and the bondage of sin. He's given you new life and it's not because of how nice of a dude you are or how sweet of a gal you are, but it's because of God's great mercy and his grace, undeserving but freely given and washing over you. I'm so thankful you sang that it's, it wasn't just a one and done thing. But it's a continual process of, God, surely, you, you, truly, you've been transformed from death to life. But it's like more and more life just comes pouring into you because there's more and more of you that has to be set free from the stranglehold of old nature. You're, you're new in Christ. But man, there's still some hints of the old man, the old woman residing in you. And so you're here today because you desperately need him to do more work. Oh, he has saved you, but he's still saving you, right? Amen. I mean, you're saved from the condemnation of sin. You don't have to fear the penalty of sin. Hell is not for you. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, hell is not for you. This is the closest thing to hell you will ever I'm not saying like <laughs> this hour. <laughs> Not saying that. I'm saying this world and its sickness and, and loss and disease and heartache. That's the, that's the sting that you're still feeling, but that's as, it's as bad as it's going to get. Because once the time on, on this earth is over, because of your being given the righteousness of Jesus, you will see him face to face. And eternity in his glory will be yours. So until then, we continue to be transformed glory to glory, right? Bit by bit, looking more and more like Jesus. But man, it's great to embrace the new life we have in him. It's great to have a new place, isn't it? I mean, as you look around, you'll see that everything is new around here. I mean, you see the walls and you realize those walls weren't there before. Nope, they're new. Every wall, this wall, that wall, this, this, every one of those walls is, is new. Every electrical wire that's running through this building now is new. When you start tearing down that ceiling, you see that, ooh, we shouldn't keep that. Let's get rid of that. Maybe there's some things that we thought maybe we'll keep using. Well, maybe not. Let's make it new. Now, the lights aren't new yet because they haven't come in. I don't know if they're floating on some ship out there in the Pacific with, with your end table that you ordered six weeks ago. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but they'll get here soon, and uh, we'll have a, a better environment here. Um, so much is new. The plumbing's new. Underground, it's new. The 
faucets, the fixtures that you see and use. That's all, that's all new. It's pretty awesome. Every heat duct you see is new. Thank you, HVAC team. Eric, thank you. It's pretty awesome. But you're also thinking, it's not done yet, right? <laughs> no, it's not done. You're probably going home saying, boy, I kind of had a hard time hearing everything. It was kind of muffled in there. Yep, because we're not done yet. You look at the floor and you think, we're doing something with this, right? Yeah, we are, because we're not done yet. And when that comes in, it'll be new. We're still in process, but it's new. The whole purpose of this space is new. Some of you were here 20 years ago when they were serving fried chicken and loaves of bread and, you know, the butcher was chopping things up for you. You were here when it was a grocery store. And, and that was a good purpose, but... You know, several years ago, it kind of closed down, and they shuttered the building, and it kind of sat vacant for a long time. It's a little resurgence as Goodwill came in and used the space, and that closed. And so it's been vacant for a long time. Dark, dusty, kind of purposeless. But then, you stepped in, and you took possession of this. You occupy this, and the whole purpose changed. The whole use. We're not serving, as Joe said, we're not serving bodies anymore. We're not just like touching people's taste buds. Instead, we're providing a meal that will be good for eternity. We're serving the souls of men. We're, we're providing the bread of life, living water. We're sharing that with others. And so the whole purpose has changed. Just like you. Every one of us was born vacant and kind of abandoned and neglected. We were born with the sin nature. But God stepped in and redeemed us. He says, Oh, I've got a purpose. It's going to be so different, so new you'll hardly recognize it. Oh, you will. You'll have some hints of what it used to be, but we'll work on that too. But now you have a new owner, a new, a new occupant in you, and we're going to do something glorious. That's kind of the message of Romans chapter 8. We've studied Romans 5, 6, and 7 over the past several weeks. Now we're pressing into Romans chapter 8, where you can see something new that's happening. And chapter 8 is all about what God does. There's, there's, oh, there's some cooperation you need to have. We'll talk about that. But Romans 8 celebrates the work that God does in us and through us as he has made us new. So turn with me in your scriptures there if you have them. Romans chapter 8. And let's just revel in what he has done and what he's doing in us. Because we're no longer slaves. We are heirs with Christ. That's this, this section of Romans chapter 8, 9 through, uh, we'll, make, we'll make it through verse 17, I think, this morning. But the essence of this passage, what it builds to is this essence that you are no longer a slave to the flesh or a slave to sin, but now you an heir with Christ. 
You're no longer an old vacant building, run down and abandoned. Now you are an occupied temple of God. So this section talks a lot about your identity, who you are in Christ, and what makes you so different than what you were or who you were before Christ touched your life. So let's start. If the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, then number one, you possess spiritual and resurrection life. That's what he says in verse 9 through 11. Look with me there. Verse 9 says, You, however, you who have placed your faith in Jesus, have been justified with God, you've made right with him. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You possess spiritual and resurrection life. You used to be in the flesh, as he begins verse 9. He says, you used to be in the flesh. That's who you used to be, but now you are in the Spirit because the Spirit is in you. So you're no longer empty or abandoned. Now the Spirit of God has moved into you. Now, I'll, I'll kind of be talking as if that's true of everyone here, but I know it's not. I realize in a group this size with extended family and friends and neighbors joining together, some have come just because you want to be nice to people or because someone invited you and thought that'd be great. Some of you have been raised in a family that has kind of embraced this as important, but this hasn't become your faith yet. You're just trying to get to the age where you're checking it out to see if this is legit, if this is something you want to give your life to. And you're welcome here. That's a-okay, it's a safe place to explore and listen and consider. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and draw you. We know you can't be his unless his spirit draws you. So we're praying that that happens, that you hear him whisper your name and you realize how deeply he loves you and how patient he is. He gives you time to process and consider But I'll speak as if, if that's okay, that you are his. That you've been transformed from being an enemy with God to now being a friend of God. You've been reconciled to him. If that's true, then the spirit of God lives inside of you. You are his. Now, I remember, this isn't when we talk about the Spirit of God, we're not talking about some force, you know, that causes you to feel these different emotions that's kind of cool and gives you warm fuzzies. We're not talking, when we talk about the Spirit of God, we're not talking about um, simply a power that enables you to, you know, stop people that are coming after you and you stop them with your hand, right? He's not a power that we wield. He's not an instrument that we use. That's not the Spirit of God. Instead, the better picture is realizing that you are an instrument of God's spirit, right? So, so you don't use him, he uses you. He, he's not an instrument in your hand to accomplish what you want done. 
Because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he is a person, you are an instrument in his hands, leading you and guiding you and empowering you to accomplish his will. The Holy Spirit is a person. So if Christ is in us, then the Spirit is in us. If you're not in Christ, you don't have the Spirit. It's like one and the same. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. It's like one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can't have Jesus and not the Spirit. It's like he is one. And if you have the Spirit, he says in these verses, he says, then you have life. In, this, in Romans chapter 8, it describes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of life. One who gives the Spirit of life. And the Spirit of life is kind of a now and then kind of life. Not like here and there, but now and then. So different than when we say, yeah, now and then we get together. What you mean when you say that is sometimes you are together and sometimes you're not. But in this context, when we say the Holy Spirit gives life now and then, he gives life now, and he gives life then. So your life now, think of how the Spirit of God, the presence, the third person of the Trinity, inhabits you and empowers you. And think of the influence of that, of him. That as you allow the Spirit to control you, you suddenly have a capacity to love and to be patient and to be filled with joy and to endure hardship. You have a capacity to have greater faith. You have the ability to be more kind, to have greater self-control because that's evidence of the Spirit in you. This is the Spirit of life in you now. And the more you surrender yourself to the control of the Spirit, the more of that fruit you'll have, the more love that you'll express to your family and those dorks at work, the the difficult neighbors down down the street, the more ability you'll have to love and be patient and, and even kind to them. Because it's not simply your ability, it's His giving you life. But it's not just now life. He talks about even though in your mortal bodies, right now your body is dead. It's kind of describing just kind of our destiny is that our bodies will all eventually die. And some of our deaths will be graceful and peaceful and some of our deaths will be very difficult and grievous. And I found in the hundreds of funerals that I've done, I found that sometimes really good people for some reason die really difficult deaths. And some really difficult people die some really graceful deaths. It's like death is no respecter of persons. It's it's why God hates death so much so that he would give his one and only son to experience that death so that death stops 
right? That one day death will be a past tense experience because this mortal body will put on immortality and we will live with him forever. Jesus solved it, right? Now we're in this process of we're waiting for the culmination of that. But Paul says this is so good because you didn't used to be this way. You used to just be living in your own power and boy, if you can love somebody that's hard to love, hey, great, but sometimes you can't, so you don't. It used to be that there's just some grudges you can't get over. It used to be that you can't help but be offended. That's not you anymore. Uh Uh-uh, you can't claim that because the spirit lives inside of you and you can't live without offense you can you can live in a spirit of forgiveness you can because it's not your human power it's his living in you you have life now but then when your body dies life continues you say well i can't forgive anymore can you no this is really good because now you have eternal life given to you by the spirit so you can be with him in his kingdom forever so that the, the life that he gives you is so good and glorious, you would look back on the, the grief of death and the difficulty of this life and say, nah, that's hardly, that's not even worth comparing to the glory that I have now. And though in this life we do ask questions, say, God, why is it so hard here? Why did you allow this to happen? In the life to come, you'll say, what suffering was that? Because I can hardly comprehend it now because this is so good. It's so right and it's so full. So Paul says, here's what's new about you. You have a power now to live for God and like Jesus. And when your body dies, you'll have life that can't be taken away. Life where there is no pain, there is no suffering, there is no heartache, there, is no, there are no tears. You are with God forever. So that's different. That's new. You're not what you're used to be. You're new. But he, but he goes on. He said there's a second thing about this. He says in verse 12, he says, you owe nothing to the flesh. He says, so then, brothers, we are, a de- we are debtors, not to the flesh, not anymore, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Essentially, there's two kind of ways to live. There's living like an abandoned, vacant building, or like a restored, renewed dwelling place of God. There's two ways to live. If you're in the flesh, well, that's living like an abandoned, dirty, decaying building. But in the spirit, now you live like the temple of God. Previous to salvation, you didn't have an ability to overcome sin. But now that you're his, you have power over the flesh. The cool thing is you've been bought and washed and redeemed and restored so you don't have to sin anymore. You, re- you really don't. You say, well, yeah, but is it realistic to expect that I'll go through my day without sinning? 
Well, I'm just saying that the Word of God says you don't have to sin. You don't have to. You have, you're not a debtor to the flesh anymore. You're not indebted to that. You don't have to go there. And it is a lifetime of learning how to put to death the things of the flesh. But the cool thing is, God doesn't say, well, I'll love you once you clean up. He doesn't say that. He says, in fact, I'm enthralled with the messy world. And that's what I came down. I was eager to send my son down to restore people to myself. So God's love doesn't change whether you're living without sin or whether you're still struggling with it. His love for you is the same. But when you experience that, you'll be so tired of that sin, you'll realize that has nothing to offer me. And so more and more, I'm going to live as Jesus has called me to live. So there's this, there's this divine human cooperative when it comes to the spirit in our life. Sometimes we can tend to err on either side. Either on one side we say, well, I know that sin always causes problems, right? When I, when I sin, I like don't get along with people more and I hurt myself and it's, it's usually bad. There's usually side effects and consequences when I break God's law. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to try really hard. And I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to make myself hurt to try to keep myself from sinning. And so it's that, that pulling yourself bu- self up by the bootstraps, right? That effort of, I'm just going to stop sinning. Ah! Or there's this, this side over here, people that say, yeah, I should stop sinning, God. So change me because... I can't change myself, so you're going to have to change me, so I'm just going to go through my world, my life, and I'm going to do my thing, but you've got to change me. Then we realize that Scripture guides us in this cooperative that says, yes, you don't have the ability to stop the sin, but he does. And it's his power in you as you put to death the deeds the body. So it's relying on his power to make those choices to pull you away from the direction of sin. Trusting in his ability and his promise to satisfy your heart with what God has for you. So you're participating in that experience of life. You can't earn salvation. You can't change your life, but you can rely on his spirit to follow his direction and overcome that temptation to sin. So do you see that role you play? Do you see that reliance on the spirit that you must have? I encourage you, if you're going through a season where you're just struggling with maybe a, a scripture in Ephesians calls it a besetting sin, you know, it's one of those things that you just want to get over and you just seem to like go back to that. Some of you, a besetting sin might be a critical spirit that you say, I'm going to be positive towards people. I'm not going to criticize them, but man, look at the way she acts. <laughs> ah, I got to stop that. Lord, I won't, give me the, the eyes to see the glory. 
but man, she won't even look at me. I look at her and give her a smile. She turns away and walks. What's wrong with her? There I go again, right? Some of you have that besetting sin. Some of you have besetting sin of what you, what you want, what you long for. I'm, I'm going to be satisfied and content. God, you've given me enough, although this thing I have really could be upgraded. Most other people are upgrading. Why can't I? You know, if I had six more feet to this boat, could go there. No, I got to be content. You know, maybe that's a besetting sin. Maybe for you, it's the thought life of you just keep going there and you think, no, I know that the, the lust of the flesh is not going to satisfy, so I'm going to try. There's besetting sins. And only the Spirit of God can free you, but He's given you that responsibility to follow in the ways of wisdom that you're not making provision for the flesh and you're not creating a path to take you in a dark direction putting safeguards, using accountability, surrendering yourself to him, believing in your identity that you are his as you participate with him. But here's the cool thing. You're not who you were before. You're not. You're made new. You have a new occupant who's come into your life and he wants to point out to you, look at all they've done. Look at everything's new. Oh yeah, I know. I know the floor's still a mess. We'll get to that. Right, But trust in me because trust that this is new. And the lighting, yeah, it's still hard to see and there's shadows all over the people on stage. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on that, but it's okay. Be patient. Embrace the fact that you have a new home, that you are new, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. That's who you are. You are new. But he continues. And then he says, he says, you're different. Verse 14, because now you are adopted into his family. He says, in verse 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, or children of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. We are the children of God. If you have the Spirit of God, you're the child of God. You say, well, I don't, I don't look much like him. You know, if you really look into my heart, it just seems like I struggle with having a heart for God. No, well, actually, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you're his. You have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. And the Spirit has not adopted you by, into slavery. It's not like you fear this God that you're now his. It's lightning bolt ready to zap you if you step. That's not what it is. No, you're, you're a child. We were blessed with a granddaughter 10 days ago, 11, 12 days ago or so. So exciting to have grandkids. And it was so, you grandparents know, it's so fun to watch your children experience the love for their children. You know, and just see them melt and to see them tenderly care. What you saw before is how they treated their siblings. <laughs> and you realize, oh boy. I don't know how well this is going to work, but no, when it's their child, there's just compassion and there's 
affection and there's love and there's that commitment to provide. That's how the Father looks at you. You're adopted into his family. In other words, you didn't, he didn't have to take you. He chose you. There's a lot of adopted families, adoptive families here. Some people you look at, you don't even know they're adopted, but they have that in their story. And if you've experienced it, you know that there's something powerful about the love of adoption. The parents who have adopted children, maybe you wondered if you could ever love them maybe as much as biological. Then once, once you experience it, you realize, hmm, I wonder if I love them more than my biological children. And I don't. I'm just saying, sometimes it feels like that. <laughs> because that... That ability to wrap your arms around them and realize that this was also a part of choice for them to be part of your family is life-changing. But what's really cool in this, as, as Paul uses this phrase for the Roman church, the church in Rome, the Jewish families, there was not a lot of adoption. You don't see that a lot in Jewish history and their, and their culture during this time. But you did in Rome. In the Roman Empire, adoption was more common. Where Romans, especially those of elite status, of course they had that responsibility of, of handing their estate and, and um, propagating their name through their descendants. That was very important to them. But there were times where, for whatever reason, maybe they didn't have biological children, or maybe they, as they viewed their children, they didn't feel them worthy. And so there was this process of adoption. Maybe adoption would take place where there was a uh, servant in their home, and they just felt that this is the person that characterizes what I want my estate to be known for, and so I adopt them into my family. Sometimes an adoption was even of a person older than the person who adopted them. But an adoption couldn't be severed. We call it, in our family, we call it forever family. Right? Well, in Rome, there was no ending of an adoption. And so that person, chosen by the head of the household, would be given that household name. Even if they were a slave in the household, they were given their surname and they were then responsible for the estate. Well, think of that when it comes to what God has done to you. I want you to know that if you are a child of God, he has given you his name. He's given you his identity. He said, I want you to be known as one of mine. You're part of my family. You bear my name. That's why, you know, we use the word Christian today, and even it's become so flippant that people, sometimes even followers of Jesus don't even want to use the name Christian because it's become so flippant. But when you think of the essence of it, it's like a little Christ. So as a Christian, you've been given the name of, the, of Christ, of Jesus, you're his follower, not just a learner of him. You've become, a you've become part of his family. It, other pastors of scripture talk about being co-heirs or joint heirs with Jesus. You bear his name 
and you've been entrusted with his inheritance, with his estate. That's who you are. You used to be. Blows our mind, but it used to be that because of our sin, we were complete different directions. And if we died in that condition, we would spend eternity outside of the love of God in judgment for rejecting his son. But because we've placed our faith in him, we are made his child. The Father loves us. We have brother Jesus as we join with him, sharing in the riches of his glory, that we have everything we need to live out this new life in him. This is new. This is who you are. This is your identity. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer outside of his family. Now you are a child. You no longer have to wonder if you're accepted. You've been adopted. You've been chosen. You're his. You don't have to earn his approval. You don't have to um, earn a place at the table. He said, provided it for you. You're mine. Come on, join, join the family. Pull up a chair. No, don't sit behind them. Sit up here at the table. This table's big. There's room for you. And you didn't earn the place. I provided it for you. You're no longer obligated to the temporary. You don't have to live for just this world. That's how it used to be. This is the best you got. This is the, for some, this is the closest to heaven that they're ever going to get. But not for those that are in Christ. It's yours. Heaven is yours. So you don't have to live for the treasures of this earth where people can steal it and rip it away. You don't have to worry about things that rust and corrode. Don't live for that because it won't satisfy. You have, you have eternal riches and glory through Christ. And you have purpose. The Spirit is in you. He gives you life. And this is really good for us to celebrate this as the family of God. Jesus asked his church to celebrate this often as we worship him, to celebrate communion. So the team that's going to share, sure, make your way to the back and get that ready because we're all going to pull up a chair. You don't have to move your chairs. But, but just envision yourself of moving your chair up to the table that God has prepared because there's a place for you. There's not like a section here of the people that are closest to God so they get to, no, no, you can all sit next to Jesus. Okay? Move your chair in, pull up. Don't worry about whether uh, you deserve to be here. Don't worry about what you have to do in order to be able to receive what he's offered for his feast. No, he's provided that for you. You're his. Communion is the time when we remember what Jesus has done for us. Where Jesus, that night with his disciples, he broke bread and he, he said, this is my body broken for you. So eat it in remembrance of me. He also had this cup of wine and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is going to remind you of my blood shed for you, purchasing your salvation. So drink this in remembrance of me. And as you do, 
be reminded that you're his child. He chose you. You are his. And that causes you to live differently. You don't live in fear or worry anymore. We don't live with scarcity as a threat anymore because we have everything that we need to live for his glory. Just revel in that today. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just be free to move in our midst today. We sang about that early on. We are, we are here ready to hear that affirmation in the quietness of our heart. As we take of these elements, Lord, reminding ourselves of what brought us to the table, we by faith embrace that, that identity that you've given to us. We pray that you would just whisper to us, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. May we hear that today as we worship you by observing this time. Lord, move in our midst, we pray. The elements are being distributed to you and I encourage you just to be in that quiet time of reflection and enjoyment of his smile on your life. hold on to those things and wait until everyone has some and we're going to partake of it together. If you're waiting for it to come to you, just patiently wait and enjoy just the quietness of the moment as we hear from God saying, I love you. You are mine. I chose you. I live with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. That night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus and all that he's done for us.
the same way he took a cup, blessed it and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember this new covenant together. Thank you, Father, for being so generous. Thank you for just that reality that we in this moment as we sit around the table with you, that we can just revel in the fact that, wow, God didn't withhold his one and only son. So won't he take care of my lesser need? If he was so generous to give us his son, can't I trust him when I need some encouragement? I need some strength or healing. Father, thank you for caring for your children so faithfully. We love thinking of what you do. We love processing together the glory of God demonstrated in so many areas of our life. We love singing about it. We're to join together. Join our voices and revel in the goodness of God. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.